I'm a huge fan of your work and I really want to thank you for giving me your time today. Thank you, Stephen. Um, I'm going to ask you the most important question of this interview right up front. Um, have you been vaccinated yet? That is an important question. And the answer is yes. My doctor called. He had 10. He, he, he needed, I think, the, the, to get the vaccine, you have to, doctor's office, they have to inoculate 10 people. So he called 10 people, come to his office. He had the, 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 the stuff. So I was very lucky. Yeah. I've been uh, vaccinated both both shots. One of the things that I'm really amazed about, um, like the last 10 years, uh, is that you do more every year than people a third of your age. It's, it's really impressive what you've been able to accomplish. And I'm just curious. A third of 50 is what? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. But I am curious, what has the last year been like for you? Because you're so prolific. You know, the last year you've been sort of, I'm sure, trapped at home like all of us. Using the pro proscribed uh, instructions from, I believe it's SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, I have filmed uh, several uh, hours of uh, The Unexplained, which is a, a show I have on the History Channel uh, at nine o'clock on uh, Fridays. I have at home been hard at work with a friend of mine who's a poet and another friend uh, uh, who's a musician and myself. And we're making a really unusual, and I think at this point, a great album, musical album. And I'm recording into a iPhone with a mechanism and I just recently re-recorded some of it at a studio. I'm planning to be to uh, interview three authors of books that I have read. That will be the theme. Will be uh, the uh, how 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 the world, how nature is unified. I'm going to do a podcast. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm promoting this film. Uh, I've got three or four businesses that are futuristic. I'm doing that. Uh, businesses that I've been at. I was talking recently about uh, Storyfile, which is 3D uh, image, maybe 50, 60 cameras around you, and then trained uh, questioners. You answer the question, you shoot in 3D, and it's fed to an artificial intelligence. And eventually, in my case, five days, the, uh, the material that you put into the AI will be serviced and, uh, and you supplied with the ability to press a button and ask me a question and the AI will answer. So it's permanent. It's there for the end of time. That's incredible. It's incredible, man. Yeah. So you could do five days like I did, you could do one day. Their uniqueness is they can process this thing so you could somebody can ask a question and the AI, the AI will find the answer. You can do your will on this thing. Can I ask, so is this out in the public right now where people it's can- I, About to, I just finished my five days. I was, focused on getting 
those five days, there's a, there wasn't a question they couldn't ask me, and there wasn't an answer I wasn't prepared to give because I wanted to fill it out because in my mind, I'm hearing my kids and my grandchildren, my great grandkids, and beyond that, press the button, Grandpa, what did you think of? And I answer. Like, it's mind-blowing. It's incredible. I, I have so many other questions on that, but I, I'm going to move on because uh, because I have so much to ask you. But right. um, I, but you mentioned you're working on an, another album. I'm a big fan of what you did with Ben Folds. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it. And I'm, I'm curious, um, uh, there's a song on the album called It Hasn't Happened Yet. And I'm just, and I have to ask you, um, has it happened? The whole idea behind the song was it hasn't happened yet is it if you if it's ha if you think it's happened it hasn't happened <laughs> think of that dilemma there's a line um in 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 the song uh at my age i need serenity i need peace um have you gotten it a form of it it comes and goes serenity and peace is ephemeral and you've got to pursue it you got to breathe it uh Serenity and peace is not really, I wouldn't characterize my life as serene and peaceful. <laughs> well, I think, I think for people that are watching this interview that have not listened to your Ben album with Ben Folds, uh, they should. It's quite good. Thank There's going to be people who have never seen your work, younger fans. And I'm curious, and you have a, a, a very a, a long career. What is the first thing or first few things you would like a younger fan to start watching that you've been in? Well, there was a Priceline commercial. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know because I've had the experience. The, the, the audience I have attracted is like, it's not singular. It's a six-year-old kid and a 60-year-old grandmother. So I've had the occasion with the grandmother saying, come here, uh, Johnny, uh, uh, meet Captain Kirk. And the kid's looking around for Captain Kirk. He's over here, kid. This is Captain Kirk over here. Uh, unrecognizable from when I was 20. So... Do I say, uh, young man, watch uh, this uh, thing that I did when I was 20? Uh, or would I rather them watch Senior Moment and say, this is a, a good thing for you to watch. If you want to recognize me, see this and see what age does for you, to you, as you work your way back. Maybe that's the way to go. So, Because if they looked at the 20-year-old, they wouldn't recognize me. I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm thinking... I, this movie's got to be a success. Uh, I, I, if there's anything I can do to help make it, because I've got to talk to Steve so he realizes that this is a fun movie. Senior moment is like great fun and lots of laughs and and uh, promise that the future can be good and, and you don't have to uh, uh, be desiccated to uh, in old age. You can be full of life and love. And I'm involved in so many things and including doing uh, uh, as much promotion as I can for this wonderful movie. So that's part of what I'm doing. And part of, you know, I do a project, and part of what I do with the project is bring it to the attention of uh, an, an audience. Listen, I've interviewed a lot of people over my 15 years uh, running Collider, and there are very few people I've spoken to 
that have had more impact on this planet than I would say you. Uh, yeah. You've influenced hundreds of millions of people. Other than an asteroid, you mean? Right, exactly. But I, I'm being very sincere when I say you've, you've influenced hundreds of millions of people on this planet, maybe even over a billion in terms of what you've done with Star Trek. And I'm just curious, what does that mean to you? With you saying that, I'm looking around for the person you're talking to. For As far as I'm concerned, I'm, uh, you know, the, I've got this lovely movie and, and I want to publicize it and I hope people come and see it and, and I hope you'll like it. And when you say it's good, I get a bit of a glow because it's great. And, uh, and then uh, maybe tomorrow... Uh, I'll have time to go get on a horse and, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm in this little life that I'm doing everything I can to seek. It sounds like the, that uh, audio to seek new things. I'm, I'm trying to discover things for myself that I, and I love the information. I go, wow. I just read about a spinach leaf stripped of all everything but its but its um, structure and they're putting blood in there and it helps it doesn't quite perform as a heart but it helps a heart a spinach leaf yes what does that like blow you away of all the things we don't know we suddenly find a spinach leaf helping mankind that means a spinach leaf is is not dissimilar to us. It's going to function in our bodies. It's that's yeah. I, I haven't heard that. It's crazy. I, I, it's, it, it was in the news. I glow in finding things out. Wow. I said, well, I didn't know that. It's a like finding a nugget. Well, let me jump backwards. Actually. I, I'm, I'm always curious how people discovered what they wanted to do. And how did you realize, or when did you realize at a young age that you wanted to act? I was uh, at a, a camp, a, a summer camp for two weeks. That summer camp people go to. Well, I went to a summer camp in the wilds of uh, the Laurentian Mountains of north of Montreal. And at the camp, you swim, you dim, and they put on a little play. So they put on a little play and I was six years old and I was part of the play. And what I did at that point was make a, a, a speech about the Nazis. It was uh, during the second world war. And the curtain went up and I did the thing, I did the speech. And, and then as it was the end of the act, as the curtain was coming down, I saw people crying, weeping. Curtain went up and they applauded. My God, I made people cry and got applause. And later, my father picked them, my boy Bill. I never did anything else. I've never done anything else. I've never gotten a, a check for unemployment. I never got all I've ever done my whole life is entertain. What did your parents say to you when you decided? Don't go. You're not allowed. <laughs> did they really say that? Oh, my father was irate. Uh, you're you're got a college education, and and you're gonna go what? You're gonna you'll be a hanger on. You you Bill, Joe, you can't do that. So when you ended up on Broadway in the fifties, Montreal was very close to Broadway. 
did your family come down to see you? And did you sort of say, um, yeah? No, Broadway. You're on, we got a 12 week limited run of, uh, uh, of something by, uh, uh, by uh, Marlowe, a classical play on Broadway. So we did our 12 weeks, we got a good audience and it closed. Now, what do you do? Bill, come to Montreal. <laughs> I get, I get it. So they still, at that point, they were still like, come home. My father died. I, 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 uh, my, my, I loved my father, uh, admired, respected. He died when Star Trek was just, just on the air. He died in 1968. So that's one year into Star Trek and it wasn't very popular. I think he died thinking, I wonder if Bill's going to be a hanger on. He died of a stroke. So he was alive for a while before the stroke got him when my mother was there. And I, I, in my imagination, he's thinking of his son. Oh, I would, um, I'm, I'm not, I, uh, I, I've stopped talking. <laughs> I wanted to give pause because that was a very, very serious. Dramatic pause, but it went on too long. Right, exactly. Something that people don't realize is that you were Christopher Plummer's understudy um, uh, be well before you worked with him on Star Trek. And I'm just curious, how many nights were you sitting there watching him work thinking, you know, it wouldn't be the most terrible thing if he lost his voice tonight? So this great director uh, comes over, we're all uh, sitting on the stage, he says, Shatner, you're going to understudy Christopher Plummer. Great, Henry V. So we're in the first of rehearsals. So during that rehearsal period, it was about three or four weeks, I was playing uh, Henry V's brother, which is a small role, and he just stands on stage for a while. Doesn't say too much. Something the universe was taking care of me. Something told me to learn the words. And I'm in a, a closet of a room uh, that they had rented for me, or I had rented that. So I spend, because we were working, we were rehearsing another play during the day. This is at uh, Stratford Festival. Rehearse a play during the day, play at night. So my the time I had was limited. And that in that limited time, in those three or four weeks, I learned the words. I drilled. I drilled. I said, once more into the breach, dear friends, once more into the once, once more into the play opens. And the next day we start another play, rehearse another play. Play opens. Chris is fantastic. Chris Plummer is fantastic. We start rehearsing another play. Six days later, somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, you got to go on tonight. What do you mean I got to go? I don't even know the names of the other actors. I've never said the words out loud. You, can you go on? And I say, yes. A play I've never rehearsed. I don't know the choreography. Some of the actors, I didn't know their names. I'm performing the longest arguably the longest running uh, speaking part in the English language. And I get through it. I heard you were very good that night. I was very good. How, 
you're very good. Imagine what I could have done if I had four weeks rehearsal. Sure. Being able to say you were very good that night when you stepped in in the situation that you were dealt is still a major accomplishment. Just getting through the play. Yeah. Imagine, exactly. imagine if I had stumbled or I, why wouldn't I have forgotten a word? Because if, because, you know, you, the, the, you're working on uh, several levels as a stage actor. You're dimly 10% aware of the audience, what's, what's happening out there. You're dimly aware of uh, what's going on stage. Is something wrong here on stage? And, but mostly you're focused on the words, on the acting of it, the performance of it. And especially in a classical play, when there are things like opera where you, where you have to be larger than life, you're, you're there, you're getting, you're, there's a lot of stuff going on. Something goes wrong. You know, uh, somebody coughs. What? As simple as that. Your mind goes out to there. You've lost the lines. You worked on a lot of um, guest roles in television in the 50s and 60s. And I'm just curious, what was it like back then trying to book a role? Was it similar to the way it is now where you do a lot of auditioning? Was it, could you sort of talk about what it was like back then? So I did this play uh, by Marlowe. Oh, it's on the tip of my mind. Um, and as a result, uh, agents and people saw me and I got a lot of attention. Uh, so I got an agent. I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, people saw me, I went on to the Edinburgh festival, came back to New York. <clears throat> and that's when people asked me to be in their, whatever it was, uh, in their television show, in their movies, when they flew me to Hollywood in their plays in on Broadway. It was as a result of having said yes to go to this, this uh, small, which became an enormous uh, classical company uh, in Stratford, Ontario. Um, so I didn't have to audition the way you, you hear and go back and go back. People asked me to be in their plays. I don't remember auditioning for anything. Uh, very lucky. You, if I'm not mistaken, you did an episode of uh, Ed Sullivan in 1958. I could be wrong, but I think oh, I think you're right. We did a segment of the play. Exactly. So I'm just I'm just curious for people that don't realize younger people. Ed Sullivan at the time there was nothing bigger. Ed Sullivan oh, was it was the show Sunday Sunday night show. Exactly. So I'm just curious, what was it like for you? going out on Ed Sullivan at the time. And were you nervous? Because that was a really big deal. Well, I was, we did a segment of the play that I had rehearsed. I, I knew the words. The reason, the reason uh, the, uh, mostly the reason actors get nervous is they're not quite sure what, uh, what to do or their words or their movement or anything. Uh, that, that, uh, that, that to me is what makes actors nervous. I'm sure there are other, other reasons. But here I was, I rehearsed the play and, and I'd been playing it on Broadway and, uh, and, and they asked us to, to do a segment of the play on that show. So I wasn't nervous. Uh, and and doing, doing a live television show, which I did a lot of in those years, was very much like doing a play. You had to hit marks, you had to do things, you had to say the words, you got to you know, move off to another set. It was very much like doing a play rapidly. Uh, uh, so although nervousness was always a factor in one way or another, it was 
it, it, after about four or five times of doing the play in front of an audience and you got to know where the laughs were, where the, uh, you would be pretty secure in what the rhythm of the play is. And therefore your nervousness would, uh, would disappear. I did a one man show on Broadway. I toured with a version of it in uh, Australia and Canada, but I rewrote it, rewrote the whole thing. And the director uh, of the original play uh, hadn't really directed it and I had written it. I sort of directed myself. So I, I was responsible for everything that evening. The day before I ate something that didn't agree with me. And that day of the opening on Broadway, I was sick and I had to go to the theater and I was coming out of every orifice, including my ears. And I had to stop the play in the middle of a Broadway opening and say, ladies and gentlemen, there's been a, there's been a, 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 a technical problem. I'll be right back. I went upstairs and I changed my underwear. <laughs> opening night on Broadway in a play that I don't think I rehearsed it at all. It was opening night in a new play. Was I nervous? No. I knew the material, I think, making them laugh. I, it was, I was on a high and ended on a high and it ran, it ran and we got great notices. I want to go, go backwards though. Um, did your dad watch you on Ed Sullivan? And after that performance, was he like, maybe he can make it? I don't remember him saying anything like that. Maybe quietly he might've thought, hmm, but he never said anything. I don't remember him saying anything. I think he was so upset with me being in this milieu that he, I don't think he ever forgave me or, or liked it or whatever. Uh, jumping into why I actually get to talk to you with Senior Moment, I, eventually I was gonna get there. What was it about this script and project that said, I, I have to do this? Well. Somebody comes to me and says, well, we got this script. Here's, read the script. We, the, we want you to, there's not there too much money in the thing, but, but we think, so I read the, I read the script. I've done that on several occasions, go, wow, I got to do this. Wow, I got to do this. So I jump into it. And, and because it's a wonderful piece of material, because this, the lead is a guy, a, a race car driver, now older, doesn't drive races anymore, but races around Palm Springs with his beloved Porsche, has an accident, and the government, uh, the, the city takes his license to, to drive away. They've taken his ability, uh, uh, he's taken his youth away, they've taken his joy away, and what is he going to do? What is he going to do now? And in stumbling around and trying to find some meaning to his life, he finds love, he finds a life, and it's a great, you know, happy ending. It's very funny. It's very, uh, there's a meaning there. There's a heart. It's a wonderful, feel good, uh, come out of the theater smiling and, and having felt good. And if you want to find a message, it's life goes on. Don't worry. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be all right. Life does go on. Uh, true or false, you actually did this movie because they told you they'd give you the Porsche. I would have. 
<laughs> people do films for different reasons. And by the way, if you said Porsche, you'd be uh, uh, kicked out of the out of the green room. It's a Porsche. Oh, my bad. I, I don't I don't have a Porsche, so I don't actually know the the proper you know. Now you know. Yeah, I won't mess up again. No. I. Uh, you get there's some really fun scenes with you and Christopher Lloyd. I'm a huge fan of Christopher Lloyd as well. Can you sort of share what it was like working with him? He's a funny guy. First of all, he's he's um, worked on. He's evolved a very funny character. I mean, he is nah, nah you know, and he's kind of like half mad with the hair and the thing. He's that's not him. He's a very educated, very well spoken guy. Uh, he's just. He's got he's got himself a character and he plays that character uh, often, so it comes as a shock to, for him to say something meaningful and intelligent. And we would have talks about everything, and we were in this car for long periods of time, so we were in each other's uh, 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 life quite a bit. So we talked, uh, and he's this wonderful character. He's a he's a terrific guy really liked him and he's this wonderful actor very funny guy there's a scene in the movie where you have to represent yourself um in a courtroom uh, actually with christopher lloyd um did you have flashbacks to being uh, denny crane again uh, probably <laughs> probably uh, you know everything is different and you try to make it different so yeah there probably was a flashback to this wild character I, you mentioned earlier, and I know about you, that you like to improvise and sort of tweak dialogue and make it your own. Um, how was it on this film? Did you, you know? Did you interject? Like, how, basically, uh, how did you work on the script, if at all? I would do it the way the author wrote it, and then ask to see if I could do it a little bit differently. And I would try various things, and sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't work. But always true to the to the. Uh, condition of the script and the uh, and the author i would get i would get it so it was good for the director and then asked if there was time could they do it for me and it was fairly frequently they had time with props and costumes through your career have you like borrowed a lot from sets do you care about that kind of stuff or had, is it had i known that these things these Props were worth a lot. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars, even a costume. So uh, uh, I, I never got, I never did anything. I never got anything. But people walked off with enormous amounts of wardrobe because they were always making new wardrobe. The wardrobe would get too dirty, would wear out. Because uh, they, they always thought the show isn't going to last. Sure. But I actually also don't even just mean Star Trek. I mean, oh. Denny Crane, I mean, uh, T.J. Hooker. I bought some Denny Crane suits. Uh, they were lovely suits from one of the more elegant uh, uh, men's shop here. Some actors are like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want any of it. And others are like, I, I steal everything. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't steal. I'd say, I'd like to have this. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and they say no, and I go, oh, shit. When you think back on uh, T.J. Hooker, that was where you actually began directing. Um, what was it like actually trying to helm episodes back then while you're also the star? Well, you're certainly working on at least two levels. 
uh, how did I do in that take? What's so-and-so doing? And, and staying within the confines of what you were saying. So it's difficult, but I, I think you evolve a technique. And of course, there's always the playback. Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but, if, but since I loved directing so much, I love the idea of conceptualizing the frame and the actors in it and the, and the fluidity of the camera. Uh, I, I, I love doing that. Uh, there were times, more than once, when a director fell out and they said, uh, can you direct this? Uh, and I would, that day, see the set and uh, set up a choreography that worked for the camera. And it worked well. It, uh, it worked well for me. One of the things about episodic television like that is that it can sometimes be hard for the director almost has to maintain the style of the episode and what's come before. And it's very difficult sometimes to throw in like a cool camera angle or, you know, also because you know how many pages you have to shoot each day. Was that something that you were cognizant of at the time? Oh, very much so. You know, usually it was a 10 page count. As the show got less and less popular, it was in its fifth season and they were thinking of the canceling. <clears throat> there was less money spent on the budget. So, there would be less and less uh, people in the shot. If you had a group shot, you know, sometimes 10 or 12 people. I remember the producer saying, well, why didn't you have more people in the front? I said, I had 10 people uh, to shoot a crowd scene, you know? So I tried to place a place in there and I gave by move the camera because uh, he didn't know that they were cutting down on the budget as, as the show got uh, poorer and poorer. But, uh, as for the style, I, I thought uh, that I was setting up a, a style anyway. I loved the, f uh, the, the movement of camera and tried to make the, the shots the way, the way the shots were used to be in live television. There was always that beautiful uh, choreography, which at times works, and then cut in between so that you can get that shot I once did a shot, took me, I've forgotten how long to set up a shot, but had in it a beginning, a middle, and an end. I didn't need to cut. I had the shot, I had the close-ups, and come back in, and when on the wide shot, it ended. And the, and the producer came down on the side and said, Bill, you got the coverage in it. I said, there's no coverage. No coverage. And it was all there. Yeah, it was, it was a wonder. It was the one. Yeah. Uh, I'd be... Uh, I, listen, obviously I love Star Trek like everybody else, but I have to say that I absolutely loved Galaxy Quest. And I'm just, I mean, loved. And, I'm, and I've always imagined what would that movie be if you guys had actually made the movie, the original Star Trek cast? Uh, have you ever thought about that? Because it arguably could be, if that had happened, maybe one of the best Star Trek movies ever. Uh, I, this is the way I look at it. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Uh, so I have to ask you about it. I never saw the movie. You never saw Galaxy Quest? Never saw Galaxy Quest. Really? No. Do, do you know what it is? It's a, a, a spoof, right? Well, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's with a lot of love, actually. It's very sincere with the love of, of, of Star Trek and with fan fandom, it's it's actually not spoofing it as much as having like a sincere love letter. 
Oh, that's wonderful to hear. I, 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 I need a psychiatrist to explain to me why I haven't seen any of the, of the uh, Star Treks, even the movies. Um, and I don't, I really can't give you a sincere answer. I can say, uh, you know, I don't, don't like to look at myself, which is true, but the movies I'm not in, uh, the, the iterations that I am not in, I don't know why. I, I, it's, it's, it's like I'll, I'll flip through um, television uh, and see Star Trek, Star Trek, and I'm not in that Star Trek. I wonder, why don't I watch The Next Generation? Why don't I watch it? These guys are friends of mine. Why don't I? Just... Well, you know, I've, I've spoken to a number of actors who, for example, Game of Thrones, after they were killed off on Game of Thrones, they never watched again. They just, they were done. They've been there, they've done that. Maybe, maybe, but still, you know, people loved uh, all those. Uh, uh, I mean, even now, the, the Star Treks that are on are very popular. Why don't I watch? I had a terrible experience. Some peeing of praise for Star Trek. They invited me, and there was this young lady, and I'm told she's in the next or she's in the, I think it might have been the next, because I think it was a year ago. Uh, and you come out uh, and you say, so I'm so glad to be here. In the room beside the stage, they have the teleprompter and say, all right, here's what you say. And the guy on the teleprompter is saying, all right, here, so I'm reading, I'm so glad to be here tonight. And I, I'd like to introduce, and, I'm, and I'd like to thank you very much and good night. And uh, could you make the font a little, uh, 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 bigger please for me okay done as i'm getting on stage the young lady's here and i'm here and the stage manager says all right bill you go around there uh, uh young lady you go you go that way meet downstage that's marked we didn't have any rehearsal you're on walk around get down hit the marks hit the mark and i'm looking for the teleprompter teleprompter's not on jesus the teleprompter holy my God, you want to stand there. The, the nightmare is the teleprompter goes out because you don't know what to say. So you're waiting there and there's applause and people are not, and I'm looking at the lady, I'm looking, oh, the teleprompter goes off. And I start to read. Okay, and uh, another thing is, uh, and I'm reading words that I hadn't rehearsed, but I thought they'd rewritten it. Everything has been so spontaneous. So I read, oh, there's, oh, there's what I say. And I say that. Thank you and a good night. We go off our way. And somebody says, are you aware that you read what the young lady was going to say? I said, no, they didn't tell me she was going to say something. Yes. And her agent, somebody was there looking at me with angry eyes. <laughs> I'm so appalled at what I did. I can hardly breathe. It, you know, imagine, it was their moment to be introduced to the American public before the show went on or as the show went on. And I stole her moment inadvertently. You know, sort of like the Oscars when they announced uh, La La Land winning instead of Moonlight. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. What consternation. But nobody knew except her and her agent. And, and probably they're still talking about uh, how awful I am that I stole her moment. But... But it was, you know, nobody told me. And there's no rehearsal. And, and on came the uh, teleprompter. Sure. If I interview her in the future, I will uh, pass on a sincere... Please do. My sincere apologies. I, I promise I tried you. to make backstage, but I don't think it registered. 
Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, is it true that David E. Kelly cast you uh, as Denny Crane based on seeing you in the Priceline commercials? I believe that's true. Uh, he was looking for somebody who, who was similar to that character. And I, uh, I remember vividly going to breakfast with him in uh, Westwood and uh, him saying things like, uh, you know, this character is a, a little senile. And my saying, I can play that, you know, and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I believe that what you've just said is true. Uh, you won an Emmy for your portrayal uh, of Denny. Oh, two, I'm sorry, two. I'm very, I'm very sorry. That's my, totally my, my fault. What did it mean to you, looking back now, um, what does it mean to have won those two Emmys and did you even, did you think at the time that you had a chance of winning? No, I was of course there at a table with everybody. And I felt myself, I've forgotten who announced it. It was an actor. And I, and I remember I irised in, you know what an iris is. You focus in on one small spot. My eyes focused in on the lips. Because if I saw wah, all I was looking for was wah. Is he going to go, what? And he goes, what? And I was already cheering or, or not, pretending not to. Um, yeah, I was, uh, that was a, a lovely moment. Uh, my last thing for you, uh, I, you, I'm a big fan of animals. I, I really love supporting animals and I know you love horses. Um, and I'm- all, all, all animals. I support many charities dealing with animals. Yeah, I read something very interesting and cool, which is that you did a Star Trek cruise, but would only do it if they did not have the interactions with the dolphins, because um, you did not support the, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I do not support that, but I don't remember uh, if they said that. That's lovely, because we now know, with all the studying going on, that those uh, animals that are kept in those uh, uh, water cages are being driven insane by the lack of space. And no matter how big they would make that, that cage, uh, it's still a cage. And the orcas, some of them are pelagic, thousand miles out there, and some just swim around on, uh, an island and eat uh, salmon. But all of them are in movement all the time and interacting with the family. The family is the important unit. That's how they uh, interact with each other. And we now know that it's cruel. There is an argument to be made for zoos and, and the animals that are at zoos. It's a tough question whether to have an animal in a zoo, uh, uh, you, people can go see the lions and the tigers and say, we got to save them. Uh, and we don't save them, but at least they're, 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 they're have a familiarity with the animal, but, uh, uh, and I could argue either way. I don't know what, what the answer is in about zoos, but certainly the, the, uh, orcas and the dolphins and who are highly intelligent. We don't know the limits of, of their intelligence. We don't know whether they say, you know, uh, there are these things that we look up there and we see these upright people. They don't seem to like to get wet. 
uh, you know, I can't believe they don't like water. My God, you know, or uh, my God, yeah, the God. I mean, we don't know what they're saying and doing. We don't know. They, they've got bigger brains than we have. What are they doing? Listen, I, I got to tell you, when I was younger, uh, I saw this movie, uh, I think it was called Star Trek, and dealt with whales, and it had a real impact on me and the way I looked at the world. Absolutely. You know, um, but I wanted to ask you specifically, what is it, because obviously you ride horses and you really championed horses. When did you sort of fall in love with horses? And could you sort of talk about your relationship with them? As soon as I got married and had some place of my own, I, I, I got a dog. My parents wouldn't let me have dogs because it, uh, if I remember correctly, it dirtied the, the house. My mother was against it. <clears throat> so I got a dog right away and I got a Doberman and I've had nothing, no other kind of dog than a Doberman for all these years. We, my wife and I, Elizabeth and I, talked to the dogs like they're people. And they... They're three years old now, and so in the last year or so, they've begun to understand that what we're saying carries import. They, they start to learn that the sound of your words is meaningful. And after a while, you're talking to them, and they're talking back in dog language, which is mostly to do with eyes and attitude and all that kind of thing. Both dogs are, are talking to us anyway. So for me, the dogs are my friends. And although I, I will tell them what they have to do at times, we talk to them. Horses are less visually uh, attentive, but they are attentive. And after a while, when you're on a horse's back, and I mean after a while, after you've ridden and you've gotten rid of the nerves of the horse, of, of being on a horse, and you will yourself to be part of the horse eventually, soon or later, the horse and you move as one. At your best in competition, you are part of that horse. I've had dreams of running with the horse, of, uh, of being on the horse's back, running effortlessly in the, in the pasture. I've had occasions uh, being on a horse where the horse takes off in a pasture, running, running with me. The motion, the emotion, and the beauty of the horse is what is so attractive. On that note, I really want to say a sincere thank you for giving me your time. And I'm pretty confident your dad has enjoyed your career, even if he is not right here. Thank you. Pleasure. Health and happiness. Thank you. The same to you, of course. <laughs>